Take your Bibles tonight and go to 1 Samuel chapter number 18. 1 Samuel in chapter 18. When a nation needs revival, that's our series here in the book of 1 Samuel. Sure have enjoyed each week's studying, trying to prepare and, and uh, look into God's Word here uh, week by week. Killed a giant last week. That was a blessing. Sure was glad that we finally got Goliath down. That was awesome. Praise the Lord uh, for that. And uh, so we're picking it up from there. Uh, Saul didn't even really know who David was. And, um, and then Abner, he asked him, well, who is this young man? And so they had to do some looking. And, and so that's where we left off last week, 1 Samuel 17. And now we're into chapter number, chapter number 18. Then things just get weird. They get, and, it's, and, it, and it's not like they're as weird as they're going to get. You know, with Saul, unfortunately. So we're seeing a contrast uh, between um, David and why God was able to use him as a leader. And we're seeing a contrast in Saul and why God wasn't able to use him. So these things are going to be helpful to us, I believe. Let's look at it, chapter 18, verse number 1. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What a friendship right there between David and Jonathan. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Notice the action of the, the unselfish um, action of Jonathan towards David now in verse number four. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword. So now David not only has Goliath's sword, he's got Jonathan's sword. He's collecting swords, don't you know? Well, there's some significance to this, right? Obviously, he gave him his sword even to his, and to his bow and to his girdle. And so, I mean, there's a, there's a real symbolic uh, transfer that's going on here. We'll come back to that. Verse five now. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. And Saul, I'm sorry, wherever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely, says of David. He behaved himself wisely and Saul sent him over the men of war. What a great responsibility. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, please notice this, to meet King Saul. Everybody see that? To meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul is slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, they might have rethought their words here a little bit. <laughs> but notice what it didn't say. It did not say, Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. That's not what it says. Read it again. Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. It's not a bad song. 
unless you're Saul. All right, let's look at it now. And Saul, verse 8, was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed but thousands. What can he have but the kingdom? What can he have more but the kingdom? The Bible says, verse 9, And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from, the, from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand. He's got the instrument. He's playing as at other times, the Bible says. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence, look at this, twice. This happened not once, but twice. And Saul was afraid of David. I'm reading now verse number 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. He felt threatened by David's presence. And it even explains why. Because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him, removed David from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved, notice this, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Three times in the chapter, it's going to say the Lord was with David. Wherefore then, or wherefore when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Here's the title of the message here tonight, uh, sermon number 33, When a Nation Needs Revival. Behaving yourself wisely when others have gone crazy. Behaving yourself wisely when others have lost their ever-loving mind, right? When they've gone crazy. So we're going to see why Saul felt so threatened by David. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll, we'll give this consideration here tonight. Think about this here a minute. For over 40 days, the people of Israel had looked to their king named Saul to do something about Goliath. 40 long days. And Saul had done nothing. 40 days. For 40, in fact, let's think about it from Saul's side of things. For 40 long, I'm going to say lonely days. Why do you say lonely days? Well, I imagine hiding behind your tent door while you know that the people of Israel are counting on you, those would be some lonely days as a leader. For 40 long, lonely days, Saul remained behind closed doors. Now, he even told David the right thing to do. He said, the Lord be with thee, David. He, he said, you got to trust God here. And yet, isn't it easy for all of us to give advice that we don't even take ourselves? Saul at one point felt like he was going to lose the kingdom to the Philistines, but now he feels like he's going to lose the kingdom to a young shepherd named David. 
Initially, he had appreciation for David. Initially, he was no doubt like others, relieved about the victory. I mean, he made, actually some, made some good moves here in putting David over the, the men of war. And, and so he, there was relief about the victory, but those feelings of appreciation, those feelings of relief were quickly replaced by feelings of envy and jealousy. There was a new name on the lips of the people of Israel. And he was getting more likes than what Saul was. He was getting more views than Saul got. He had more followers than Saul had. You know, when you're insecure, you're threatened by the success of others. He was insecure and thus he was threatened by the success of others. It wasn't right. I mean, it just wasn't right. What he was thinking was not right. It wasn't right. There's no way. Uh, that it was right. It wasn't like David was even trying to take the kingdom. That wasn't at, at all what he was trying to do. David was trying to be a help to Saul. David loved Saul. David cared about Saul. And yet Saul got something in his mind that actually will define the rest of his life. And it wasn't even right. I, I said it wasn't even right. What was in his mind wasn't even true. And yet Okay, we're at chapter 18, and so you go through the rest of, of 1 Samuel, you know, through chapter 30, all the way to 31. So we've got all these more chapters to go, and basically here's what we're reading. A man that didn't deal right with what was in his mind. I wonder what will write the rest of your story. Will it be what's true and right, or will it be something that's in your mind? Self-absorbed thinking will mess you up. I don't know how else to say it except just say it like it is right there. That self-absorbed thinking, and by the way, we're all prone to it. Now, tonight and, and really in the coming weeks, I mean, we really need to give this consideration. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book by Gene Edwards called A Tale of Three Kings. It's a fantastic book. It'd be a very good read for everybody here because A Tale of Three Kings is the tale of Saul, David, and Absalom and how there's a Saul in every one of us. And sometimes you work for a Saul who throws javelins. You work for a hot-tempered person. Sometimes you are the Saul. Huh? And you got to learn how to control your anger. Saul didn't, didn't learn that, and, and he lost it, and, and it defined the rest of his life, and he lost, really, his family, and he lost uh, control of the kingdom. I mean, just a lot of things that, that went terribly long, wrong that really didn't have to go this way. He, but here's the deal. He felt so threatened by David. He felt so threatened by David. In fact, in many ways, it seems like he felt more threatened by David than he did Goliath. Why? Now, Jonathan didn't feel threatened by David. Jonathan felt very at ease with David. In fact, I, I find in David and Jonathan a very kindred spirit, a great kindred spirit. I mean, you can, you can see that they both are, are men that, that have courage and trust in God. And, and so I'm not, I'm not surprised that here are these two men that just make a friendship. By the way, you need friends. Amen. You need friends. You need friends who honor God and put God's will above their own will. That's the kind of friends that you need. You need friends that honor God and want to put God's will above their own will. Now, it's likely here. Let me, let me just talk to you briefly because there's a contrast even between Jonathan and the way Saul responded to all this. Jonathan, uh, the son of Saul, who obviously as the son of Saul would have been the next king. 
So uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan was also, I believe, and I think it'd be easy to prove that Jonathan was probably more uh, of more age or he was older than David. You had to be at least 20 years old to be in the military. David evidently wasn't quite that. He was probably 17 or 18 years old. Uh, but Jonathan, I, he may have been, you know, upper 20s or 30s. I mean, there may have been a little bit of an age gap. Um, by the way, I want to say this. Those of you that are older, you can be a tremendous help and a friend to some people that are younger than you. Uh, my life was greatly helped by a lot of people that were older than, than I was as a teenager. I had some college age uh, people that took a real interest in me, really helped me. Craig Carson helped me immensely. I wouldn't be here tonight if Craig Carson hadn't taken an interest in my life. Thank God for him. I thank God for uh, a college age man named Jeff Jackson that used to take me to play racquetball. I learned a lot about racquetball, but I learned more about life. He just had an interest and helped me. And, and then I thank God for a man named Bob Morrison. Now, I don't even know what Bob Morrison's doing right now, but Bob Morrison was, uh, uh, well, he was a godly man, but he was also cool. You can be both. I mean, he, he kind of had the presence of like a Fonz. I don't mean that in the wrong way. I wouldn't say Fonz is nowhere near godly, that's for sure. But, but here's Bob Morrison. He, I mean, he rode a motorcycle and he was just, he was hardworking, but he had a walk with God that really challenged me. And I saw, I saw that, hey, you can actually be cool and Christian. <laughs> but the big thing is, is he was, a young, he was an older man that took interest in me. And I really do appreciate that. Ate breakfast with me and just took interest in me. And those of you that are younger, you need some older people that you can look up to. I thank God for Bob Morrison. I didn't explain that very well, but I think you get the gist of it. So, all right. <laughs> How unselfish of Jonathan to say, look, I know you're going to be the next king. So he, he by the way, nothing inappropriate here. Just he, he took off because clothes makes the man. You know, it kind of defines, it explains who you are. And he's recognizing you're going to be the next king. So let me just give you my sword. Let me give you my bow. Let me give you my garments because I'm behind you. Isn't that amazing? That here, here's a young man that, that I mean, in, in that client of that day and time, typically, if somebody was going to take your place as king, you knock them off. By that, I mean, you take them out. Okay, by that, I mean, you kill them. In case you weren't following what that was meaning. You'd, you'd get them out of the way. But he's not going to do that. He's actually saying, listen, I'm behind you. I can see God's hand in your life. I can see God working in your life. There's not an ounce of jealousy in, in Jonathan. Not an ounce. You know, we need to have that kind of spirit that when we see God's hand on somebody, when we see God's blessing on someone, when somebody's maybe getting more attention than what we are or, or being used of God in a greater way, hey, what we ought to do is say, man, thank God for what God's doing in your life and not, not get jealous about that or envious at that, but just say, praise the Lord. I'm glad God is using them. Saul felt threatened. Oh, hang on, wait, by, by the way. Uh, one man said this, only faith makes us willing to be the lesser. Only faith makes us willing to be the lesser. Uh, Eli Haru was one of the professors I had at Baptist Bible College. And he used to, I don't know how many times I've heard him say this. It takes more grace than I can tell <laughs> to play second fiddle well. It takes more grace than I can tell to play second fiddle well. Everybody wants to be first fiddle. But it takes more grace to be second fiddle, to be in a support role. Jonathan was saying, I'm willing to be in a support role. I see what God is doing. Saul said, absolutely not. Saul was envious, jealous of David. He felt threatened. 
Verse 5, though, tells us we can rejoice uh, while we can in what Saul does. He put David over the military. He put him over the men of war. And David, David excelled. Things were going well. I mean, really, we got to stop and just give it to Saul. That was good thinking right there. Here's a man that proved himself on the battlefield. Who else would you want out there leading the army? It's a great move. Great move. So then the women come into the picture and they come out. By the way, verse 6 is very important when it says they came out to meet Saul. They, they were not in some kind of a coup. They were not in some kind of a revolution that's going to say, let's get rid of Saul and let's follow David. No, they came out to meet Saul. They came out to, to rejoice. You know, you think maybe about at the end of World War II, uh, some of the iconic scenes that we've seen, you know, in New York City and everybody celebrating in the, in the, in the streets or, or uh, you might think about, you know, after a you know, the finals or, or World Series or the Super Bowl, the parade, you know, the winning team gets to go on and, and, you, and you see the ticker tape falling and, and people rejoicing in the streets. That's basically what's going on. Our boys are coming home. <laughs> Women, uh, grandmothers and moms and wives and daughters, daddy's home. Oh man, they were out there and they were ready to sing and, and rejoice in the army of Israel. That's what they're doing. And so they're going to they're gonna sing and they're going to praise. You know, kind of like uh, Deborah did in, in Judges chapter 5 and like, uh, like Miriam did, the sister of Moses at, at uh, Exodus chapter number 15. They sang and they praised and they were rejoicing in what, what God did, the victory that God gave them. And there was really no reason for Saul to feel threatened by the success of David. There really wasn't any reason for him to feel threatened slighted or, or to feel um, jealous. No more than say, uh, in fact, I heard Brother Sam's message on this passage and, and he was referring to the desert storm and how that George H. Bush uh, was wise in his placement and, and even, you know, Storm and Norman uh, Schwarzkopf, remember those, those days and some of the successes that they saw there? Well, George H. Bush, he had no reason to say, okay, let's get him out of there because he's getting more attention than what I am. No, the same team. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense for George H. Bush to say, hey, we want him out of here, or George W. Bush to say, we, we want Donald Rumsfeld out of the scene. He's getting way too much publicity and so forth. No, that would, be, that would just be self-centered of them, self-absorbed of them. So here they're coming and, and uh, in their military parade and the women are singing and they're, and they're saying, Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. I'm not going to sing it. I don't know if it had a tune or not, what it, kind of tune it had, but Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. You know all they're saying? We won. We won. We're free from the Philistines. God used Saul. God used David. They were just rejoicing. Again, they didn't say Saul has killed his thousands, but I'll tell you who's really a good fighter is David. He's killed 10,000. He's way better of a warrior than Saul ever was. No, it's not like that at all. It's just they were rejoicing in the victory. Okay, that's all that was going on. And it'd only take a selfish person to get jealous about that. Just an insecure person. And unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with. You know, how we respond to praise reveals what's in your heart. 
in our own heart, like how you respond to praise, but also this, how you respond when others are praised. That reveals much of your heart. Saul said, I mean, I, I just, I kind of, I kind of think this way. He loved that first verse. Saul has killed his thousands. Sing that again. Man, that's good. Hit that, hit, let's go back on that. Let's, in fact, let's just make that the song. What? Killed his ten thousands. He's just a boy. He killed a giant. That's all he's done. I was hiding my tent, but nonetheless. You see this? Some insecurity right there. Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. What's, what's going to happen here? But, but he's going to take the kingdom. I'll tell you what he's going to do. Here's what happens. Self-interest, also known as ego, causes you to be jealous of others. Self-interest causes you to be jealous of others. You can't rejoice when somebody else is doing better than you. If you listen, if it's all about you and it's about your ego and it's about, about your, your accolades and your likes and your, your applause, then you cannot rejoice when somebody else is getting more attention than what you are. And sadly, that can be true of self-absorbed pastors. They can look at the exest, uh, success rather, of, of other pastors and say, I'll tell you why they're, why they're growing over there across town because they're going liberal. That's why a bunch of progressives. See? And they can begin to try to put another pastor down just because he's doing well. Well, maybe the hand of God's on there. Not every church that's growing is going progressive. But if you're self-absorbed, you can't rejoice in the success of other pastors. Self-absorbed mus musicians can't, can't rejoice when other, others that are playing the piano or singing, that they get more attention than what they get. Jealous or self-absorbed youth workers that could be jealous over other youth workers. Why do they like them? Or a bus worker. Well, why do they like that bus worker? They're not as good of a bus worker as what I am. Oh, this is going over great. I can just feel the excitement growing in. Even parents can get jealous of one another. One set of grandparents can get jealous of the other set of grandparents. Why? Huh? Why, why do they like them? Oh, yeah. Well, if they like them that much, then we'll do this and get them to like us more. Right? I'll just keep going since it's going so great. Students can get jealous of other students. Friends can get jealous of other friends. Why are they hanging out with them all the time? They used to hang out with me all the time. Why did they text them all the time? Why did they, why did they message them all the time? Why don't they spend time with me like they used to spend time with me? Why are they spending time with them? I don't even like them. Athletes can get jealous of other athletes. Tell you why he gets that attention, because he's the coach's son right there. That's what it is. I mean, I don't care if he scored 30 points. He's still the coach's son. <laughs> why do they get all that play time? Why do they get more attention? Uh, people at work can get jealous of other people at work. Isn't this right? Yep. Saul felt so threatened by David to the point that he thought to murder him. I mean, literally, that's what it came to. He's going to murder David, or that's his intent. In fact, I like what a man named Dale Davis said. He said, Saul's ears, ear went far beyond beat and melody. 
talking about the song of the women, as they're singing, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, David's ten thousands. His ear went way beyond the beat and the melody. He heard far more than the soprano and the alto. He analyzed the lyrics and decided the girls must, might better use their talents in a dirge for a funeral in Bethlehem. So David was uh, there playing. And I mean, we already knew this. Saul already had some issues. But he's sitting there with his javelin. I think he's probably twirling it in his hands. David is, uh, David's playing. I, you know, you might say, man, do you think David maybe uh, missed it? That he didn't realize that Saul was trying to kill him? Because I mean, if you got a javelin coming your way, you might think, you know, something's probably wrong. You know, and this happened twice. So on one hand, that shows just the loyalty of David. That even in danger, in the face of danger, he's going to do his task because he's loyal to the king. Okay. On the other hand, I think this is what probably what happened that day. I'm just going to speculate here. But probably even as David is making his way into the court, somebody said, hey, he's in one of those moods again. Because he had moods. He had some serious mood swings. And, and so, hey, David, just so you know, I mean, today's kind of been a rough day already. And so David's in there and he's doing playing and, and uh, doing what he does, you know, with the music and that was helping to soothe. But, but, but the next thing you know, man, there's just this angry outburst. And, and next thing that David knew, this javelin is coming his way. And Saul, I mean, he, he came up and, and, and David just had to. Now, I don't know if he just kept playing. <laughs> but then this happened twice. What, what I'm trying to establish is I don't, I don't think David thought that Saul had it out for him. Not at this point. D Saul hadn't revealed this to anybody. Not until his cabinet meeting in chapter 19 does he reveal that he's going to try to take out David. I mean, it's just all inside of Saul. This is boiling inside of Saul. And, and, and so, he's, he's so he's so jealous. He's so envious that he says, the only way that I can get the attention back on myself is to take this person out. And so David just assumed it must be another angry outburst on Saul's part. And, and the Bible says, I love what it says. He behaved himself wisely. And then it says this, he behaved himself more wisely. Hey, look, you know, sometimes you're going to be dealing with people that, that you don't create the problem that they have, but you sure have to respond to it. It may be that you have a, a boss that just flies off the handle and everybody's kind of walking on eggshells around that boss and, and somebody says, hey, listen, he's like off today or she's like off today. You better watch out. And, and, and so it may be that you're dealing with somebody that's very, very difficult to, to deal with. But I'll take some admonition here from what David did. The Bible says that he behaved himself wisely. And I realize that that, that has to do with his, his ability on the, on the battlefield and how that he gained the respect of the military. But I think it's also this. He acted with prudence. He acted with insight. The word itself means insight. He was looking at things from a different angle. Saul could only see things from the way that he could, he could see them. And he was very self-absorbed and very self-centered. And, and so he was a very angry man by this point. He didn't start out this way, but he was a very angry man at this point. And David did not create that anger. He only revealed that it was there. But it was God's presence that made the difference in the lives of these men. The Bible says that the Lord was with David and he had departed from Saul. Now, 
I mean, the clarity of this is that once you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, you're never undwelt or, or He never leaves you in that sense. Everybody understand that? But what we're looking at here as we've come in our study, we're seeing that there was times when the hand of God was on Saul and he used Saul as Saul was humble and before him. But there's other times and as, watch this, as Saul disobeyed the clear commands of God, God couldn't bless it. And God's hand was no longer on Saul's life. But now the hand of God was on David's life. And I want, to, I want you to see this here from verse number 12 when it says, Saul was afraid of David. He was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Everybody see that? And that he had departed from Saul. The Bible says in verse number 14 that David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. In verse number 28, I realize this is beyond the scope of our text, but look at it where it says in Saul, Saul and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. But the point being in verse 28, the Saul saw that the Lord was with David. I'll tell you why Saul felt threatened by David. It's because of this. The presence of God was evident in David's life and the presence of God in David's life exposed the absence of God in Saul's life. And he felt threatened by that. Hmm. You know what happened in Saul's life as a result of that? He lost touch with reality. He lost touch with what was best for the nation, even as a whole. And he's acting in ways that is contrary to Israel's well-being. For him to take a javelin and try to pin to the wall a man who just put his life in danger out on the battlefield against a giant doesn't make sense. It just doesn't compute. And he's, watch this also, when, when we know, and I think deep down Saul knew that this is God's chosen. And he's opposing God's chosen. Here's, here's, I think, something that we can see by way of some application here tonight. Self-absorbed people turn out to be the worst enemy to people that are in their life. Are you following me here tonight? Is this making sense? A self-absorbed person. You, you take a self-absorbed husband and he turns out to be the worst enemy to his wife. You take a self-absorbed wife and she'll turn out to be the worst enemy to her husband. You take a self-absorbed dad who's, who's uh, uh, stuck on himself and everything's got to go his way, they can be the worst enemy to their own family. You take a self-absorbed mom that, that is just stuck on herself and she'll turn out to be the worst enemy to her own family. You take some self-absorbed young people. Is everybody listening to this here tonight? You get self-absorbed and you'll turn out to be the worst enemy to your own family. You, you take a self-absorbed pastor that just is on his own agenda, and that's, that's highly possible for any pastor, including this pastor, to get on their own agenda. And here's what happens as they're pursuing their own agenda. They leave wide open the whole, the whole congregation to the attack of the enemy. Yeah, that's, right. and that's what Saul is going to do. 
They feel threatened by people that have a walk with God. How do you respond when you're around somebody that has a walk with God? Are you glad to be around them or do you try to like, well, let me get out of this conversation as quick as I can because I know they're going to ask me some probing questions. I've got a pastor friend, uh, Brother John Vault, that's a good friend to me. And every time I get around him, his eyes are just like piercing my soul. How you doing, Brother Gaddis? He'll ask me, how you doing, Brother Gaddis? I say, man, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing good, thanks. Really, Brother Gaddis? Am I right, those of you that know John Vaught? How you doing, brother? Are you really doing all right? Man, I tell you, yay. <laughs> you, know, you know why he's doing that? Because he, he cares about me. I know he's got to walk with God. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for godly friends like that. I don't want to avoid people like that. Say, man, I don't like it when preacher comes around. I don't like it when the teacher comes around. I don't like it when that spiritual person comes around because it makes me feel uneasy. Why? Saul felt threatened by David because God's hand was on David and he wasn't on Saul. And he tried to avoid him and he tried to make him look bad and he tried to take him out, actually. Saul had things so twisted in his mind. There's a danger that you might get things twisted in your mind. And if you don't let the word of God help you get it right in your mind, you live out the rest of your days with it all twisted up and your life will reflect that. Saul had things twisted in his mind. You know, you, you can have things twisted in your mind like this. Man, my parents are so strict. You know, you can get that in your mind. If you get that in your mind, you know what's going to happen? You'll live it out. That's a dangerous thought. Hey, uh, thank God for parents that care about you and want to try to protect your spiritual life and well-being. But if you get to think, man, my parents are so strict. And I realize parents can be strict. I mean, I, I've been that way and, and all of us, I think, have you. You follow what I'm saying. I mean, it's easy to, to, to go into that mode. I understand that. But um, you better be careful if you let that get in your minds. Because then your whole life could be lived with wrong thinking. You could get in your mind something like this tonight. Nobody at that church cares for me. Nobody cares for my family. Nobody checked on us when we were gone. Nobody called. Nobody texted. Nobody, nobody tried to come by and see us. Nobody, nobody cares about us. At the, I'm telling you, you can get that in your mind. And that's not right. Now, is, people drop the ball for sure. And nobody check on you. It may be the case. But are you going to live the rest of your life with that in your crawl? And upset. You see, if you live the rest of your life in your own self-delusion, you'll end up in a place you never thought that you would. You know, many people are self-deluded in thinking that somehow they deserve revenge. They deserve to be appreciated. You know, honestly, none of us deserve to be appreciated because we're not anything you can live with the self-delusion that God doesn't really love you, and that's just not true. Or that everybody's against you. You know, Saul kind of got into that complex, didn't he, where he felt like everybody's against him. You know, I, I thought about this. Saul actually could have been a help to David. He could have said, uh, David, listen, don't let power and prestige go to your head. Because I let it go to my head and I disobeyed God 
in 1 Samuel 13 and in 1 Samuel 15. In those circumstances. You know, he, he could have said, David, listen, just because you're the king does not give you special privilege. Don't let that get in your brain. I wonder if that would have helped David when he was on the rooftop. When he took privilege to himself. I think Saul could have helped David if he said, David, listen, let me, let me tell you something I've learned here. You're going to be the king. Let me tell you something I've learned here. I wasn't communicating with my son, Jonathan, like I should have, and I should have been communicating with him. I want to encourage you, David, stay connected to your kids, even while you're working in the kingdom. Listen to what's going on in their hearts. Spend some time with them. Listen, listen to and think and, and feed, give them feedback. Communicate with them because I didn't communicate with Jonathan. It nearly cost him his life. I wonder if that could have helped David. I wonder if Saul could have said to David, David, I love the, I love the faith that you have in God. I love the faith, the, the tender, young faith that you have. David, let me caution you right here. Don't ever become self-reliant. Because there was a time like you that I trusted God, but I got away from God. David, I encourage you to do this. Stay humble. Stay humble. Don't get about the numbers. Don't, don't start seeing how big you can make the kingdom because David, listen, I, it's cost me dearly. I, I'm just simply saying tonight, I think Saul could have been a help to David. But he was too self-absorbed. What's the solution? What's the solution? Because I, I think all of us at one point in time are going to deal with envy and jealousy. Is that right? Somebody's going to get more attention than you. They're going to get ahead. They're going to get more opportunity than you. And you can look at them and think, well, why did they get that? Well, here's, here's the key. Have a walk with God. Know the presence of God. And then when God is your source of confidence, you have no reason to be insecure. And you can say, God, I know that you're, you're blessing that person and I rejoice in it. And God, I know you're going to take care of me. I'm not going to worry about it. One person said this about David and Saul. They said, that which marked the difference between these two men was what they did when they were alone. What they did when they were alone. David, when alone, worshiped God. Saul was self-indulgent. What a man does when he's alone with his thoughts will decide what he is when he's in public. What a man does when he's alone with his thoughts will decide what he is in public. It is there that either by self-indulgence a man's character is wrecked or by self-discipline a man's character is made. I think David knew what it was to be alone with God and that helped him when he was in public. Saul lost touch with God's presence and it cost him dearly. And he lived out the rest of his life, listen to this, Bitter and alone. David, on the other hand, had a relationship with God. And God enabled him to have good, godly friendships. Other people that had faith in God came around David. I think about those mighty men of David. And God gave him positive friendships. And he wasn't alone. How sad to die like Saul when you could live like David. Let me ask you tonight. Has God used this text 
to point out ways in which you've been self-absorbed, then by all means, get that straight in your mind and say, you know, life's not about me. It's about the Lord and His honor and His glory. I need to focus on that and get off of myself and rejoice when others prosper and trust God when, I, when I'm in a situation where I know that He's got to come through and I know that He's trustworthy and I'm just going to wait on the Lord. And again, I say, wait on the Lord. Let's stand together here tonight. Behaving yourself wisely when others have gone crazy. Hey, listen, you can't determine how others are living, but you can determine how you're going to live in the situation that you're in. And you need the Lord's help, that's for sure. Father, tonight, uh, Lord, we need you. We're prone to the same exact things that Saul gave himself to. We can become so self-absorbed and become so envious and jealous of others even and be threatened by those that have a walk with you. God, would you help us tonight to see that that walk with you is available to each and every person. And I thank you, dear God, for the way that you walked with David through his life and even when he got away from you, Lord, how that he got his focus back on you once again. Would you help us to do the same here this evening? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing very appropriately. I think this song itself would be a help. Page 505. How about tonight we say with the psalm, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. As Brother Ted leads us, uh, would you come and turn aside and, and talk to the Lord. Have thine own way, Lord. Page 505.